Bible, you might want to turn to uh, 2 Peter, way towards the back of your Bible. And uh, we've been working our way through uh, this book of 2 Peter. And um, you might remember that Peter is pretty much, uh, oh, kids can be dismissed, (laughs) unless you're third to fifth grade. You might remember that uh, Peter's at the end of his life when he writes this particular uh, letter, uh, and he's writing to a number of churches that he's uh, ministered to over the course of his lifetime, and he's concerned that people uh, that he's leaving behind never forget four really important, crucial truths that if you're a Christian, you really need in order to be able to live your life successfully. And uh, you, uh, if you look at Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, uh, here's what he writes. He says, uh, since I know that the putting off of my body is going to be soon, I'm going to die soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, he's talking about what Jesus told him back in John chapter 21, and I'm going to make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. These are the four really important things that you cannot forget, that you can't live without. Now, you know, we all need reminders, right? Uh, the older we get, the more we probably need reminders. And Peter's just aware of that. And uh, we're not exceptions to that as Christians. And so um, Peter's like, I'm writing these things to remind you so that you never forget uh, these four things. Number one, be sure of your salvation. Be sure. Be sure about your salvation. The last thing you want to do is, uh, you know, forget about this wonderful salvation that God has provided for us. So the first part of uh, chapter one is all about that. And then second, he said, you know, be sure of um, uh, your foundation, God's word. Be sure of the Bible. Be sure you understand that when you hold this book in your hands, this isn't just a book about God. This is God's word given to people to write down so that you and I would have God's word and be able to understand it and, and to have it uh, penetrate into our hearts. But this morning, um, and, and those two subjects are great, aren't they? I mean, remember your salvation, remember that God spoke and we have it in our hands and, and so forth. But this morning, uh, Peter's saying, but also remember that the world you live in is not a neutral place. That the world we live in is uh, uh, infiltrated by lies and that God has an enemy and that his enemy works through, and Peter especially calls these people false teachers, that Satan works through false teachers, and especially in the church, uh, as uh, we'll see here in a minute. But this, this particular message isn't as much fun to talk about, right, as uh, the first two. And next week, uh, we'll have the opportunity to look, Lord willing, at the third chapter, which is all about the Lord's return, and that too is pretty exciting subject. But you'll notice that Peter starts chapter 2 with the word but. And uh, but, you know, ties this to what he said in chapter 1. And at the end of chapter 1, he was saying, we have the pure word of God. We have the absolute truth because it comes to us from uh, prophets and people that God actually spoke through by his spirit and put it down in writing for us to have. And then he says, but, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, but false prophets, so he's talking about true prophets, and now he's going to talk about false prophets also arose among the people. So this is the early church, right? It's Peter, 
It's uh, maybe 65, 68 A.D., uh, and um, Peter's like, you know, already in the early church, uh, the pure truth of God that's come to us uh, by his spirit and through the writings of the Old Testament, um, already there are false teachers. He said, uh, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in distinctive heresies, destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves destruction. Bringing upon themselves destruction. So just think for a minute about what Peter's saying. Um, You are going to have enemies. If you're a Christ follower, you have enemies. And you need to know who your enemies are, is what Peter is saying. Don't just think everybody is nice. Now, yeah, we're called to love our enemies, but we're not called to compromise with our enemies, right? Uh, God has enemies in the world, and uh, because of that, we have enemies as well. And um, um, we have these enemies, and if you just think with me about the contrast um, between the pure word of God and those who would be false teachers who bring uh, the opposite of the pure word of God. As I'm just going to read a passage, and you just listen to it and think about how this is true. Okay, I'm reading from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul writes about the same subject, and he says this. <clears throat> he says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined all that God has prepared for those who love him. Okay, so... Paul is saying, you know, you can't come up with this on your own. Then he says this, these things God has revealed to us. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So there's two spirits, right? There's the spirit of the world, and there's the spirit of God. And when God gives his truth to us, it's the spirit of God in us that connects with what the spirit wrote in the scriptures and the reality of the uh, truth Uh, springs to life inside of us. Um, And again, our enemies have a different spirit in charge of their lives, uh, the spirit of the world. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, the Apostle Paul says that small g God, uh, Satan is the small g God of this world. Uh, The spirit of the world is the spirit of our enemy. And so while the spirit of God is focused on truth, the spirit of the world is focused on deception and falsehood and lies. And we recognize, I think, probably, our world is full of lies. 
um, and full of deception. It's always been the enemy's uh, modus operandi to operate by deception, deceiving people, uh, and, and falsehood. And Jesus, I think, makes this very clear in John chapter 8, and uh, you might be familiar with this passage. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus says this, uh, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now, these are people who put their faith in Jesus, to the Jews who had believed in him. Here's what he says. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And these Jewish people answered Jesus, and they said, hey, we're the offspring of Abraham, man. We've never been enslaved to anyone. And I'm like, hello? I mean, Egypt? I mean, I think you were enslaved for quite a while. (laughs) Actually, you know, um, how is it that you say we're going to become free? So Jesus says, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak that which I've seen with my father, and you do that which you have heard from your father. And they answered him, and they said, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Uh, This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the will of your father. You're doing what your father did. They said to him, "Uh, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus responds, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of all lies. You ever ask yourself, you know, a thought comes into your mind. You ever ask yourself, I wonder where that thought came from. I know we all think it's our thoughts. But if you track it down, you're going to find out that your thoughts, the thoughts that come to your mind, either are coming from God or they're coming from the evil one. If you think about it and you start analyzing, where are these thoughts really coming from? And Jesus is telling these Jewish people who believed in him, at least to some degree, right? Uh, He's telling them, you're of your father, the devil. So Peter warns us, that there will be, uh, just as there were false prophets in the Old Testament, there will be false teachers in the New Testament era and in the church uh, era. And, uh, but Peter doesn't define like a particular heresy. He says there will be destructive heresies. But he doesn't define uh, which heresy he's talking about. But what he does do, he begins to talk about the various characteristics, the character of a false teacher. How do we identify who a false teacher really is? And Peter then begins to describe and define uh, some of these. And in the book of Jude, which parallels Peter, as we said, um, we get some hints as to what Peter was actually talking about. Uh, But what Peter does is describe some common characteristics. And by the way, the word heresies uh, actually originally in the Greek language originally meant choices. How does false teaching get introduced to us? The enemy just poses destructive choices to us, comes alongside of the truth and poses um, choices, heresies, um, 
false teachers, destructive choices. If you think about it, it's really what Satan did. If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and again, um, it's nothing new, but you're probably, again, very familiar with this. Let me just read a couple of verses. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you know, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, no, of course not. God didn't say that. God said just the opposite. All these trees are yours to enjoy. I created them for you. There's one tree, however. Don't eat of that tree, right? And so watch what Satan does. He's just posing a choice. Um, Did God actually say you can't eat from any tree? And the woman uh, said to the serpent, well, we can eat from the fruit of all the trees in the garden, except I can't, we shouldn't eat from the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, um, lest we die. The serpent says to the woman, you're not going to die. The exact opposite of what God had said. God laid out the truth, and the serpent comes alongside and just poses a question, uh, offers a lie, and, uh, and then um, creates a choice. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be opened, and you're going to be like God, and you're going to know good and evil. You can decide what's right and wrong for yourself. You don't need God to tell you, you know. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good and blah, blah, you know the story. So, you know, just think, but think about this. A heresy is just somebody coming alongside and posing a choice. And the choice is usually an appeal, right, to the worldly spirit that's in all of us, right? We're born with that. And it takes the uh, Holy Spirit in our lives and God's word and God's truth to create a tension in us that says, you ever have this experience where, you know, somebody's telling you something and it's sounding kosher, but, you know, you're saying in your spirit, something about this isn't right. You know, uh, Andy Stanley, who's a preacher that I like to listen to once in a while, and, and he said, pay attention to the tension. Pay attention to that tension because it's the spirit of God uh, wrestling with the spirit of the world. But a heresy is simply uh, the enemy coming alongside and uh, just offering us uh, a destructive choice. And people who make that choice end up, you know, um, being destroyed. And so ultimately what Peter says uh, in this first verse, I know we're still in the first verse, false prophets uh, rose among the people in the Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, destructive choices, even denying the master who bought them, uh, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Ultimately, false teachers will end up denying Jesus. We'll end up, just think about the cults, think about false religions. Ultimately, sooner or later, it comes down to, if you keep tracking with people, uh, they will uh, uh, create a different choice as to who Jesus really is. A destructive heresy uh, will be introduced. And it's interesting here, isn't it? He says, um, uh, destructive heresies denying the master who bought them. So it's kind of interesting, um, and again, this is just a sidetrack, but 1 John, uh, chapter 2 and verse 2 and 1 John, it's talking about, uh, John is talking about 
Jesus uh, dying on the cross and says this. He, John, uh, he Jesus, is the propitiation or uh, the appeaser of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So you have people in your family, you have neighbors, and you, know, you work with people at work and so forth, whose sins have already been paid for. When Jesus died on the cross, his death on the cross was sufficient to cover every single last human being on the planet. And what Peter is saying is that the Lord already bought these false teachers, and they just don't know it. They don't believe it. They don't buy it. You know, and, uh, and yet they come against and introduce these heresies, these choices that are against the Lord. And um, <clears throat> how sad that they would, you know, deny the master who already bought them, who already paid the price for their sins. And I think it's a great motivation for evangelism. When I think about some of the people that, you know, I have a relationship with who don't know the Lord and I know that their sins are already covered, I mean, I've got good news for these people. I just got to figure out a way to deliver it, right? I mean, how, what, what's better news than being totally forgiven for all the things you've done wrong and all the guilt in, the, in your life and all the shame and all the rest of it and uh, John comes right out, and I think in, in John it, it's teased out pretty well. And in chapter 2 and verse 22, he says, who is the liar? Who, who's the false teacher? Who, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Who's the liar? And Peter's saying the same thing. Eventually, a false teacher will deny uh, the deity uh, or the work or the words of Jesus. Who is the liar? John says, well, it's the person who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist who denies that the Father and the, who denies the Father and the Son. Nobody who denies the Son has the Father. Nobody who denies the Son has the Father. Now there's a lot of false teachers who would tell you, you know, there are many different ways to God, right? We have this in churches all over the place. You know, and you just pick one, and one's as good as the other, and all the rest of it, and it's a false choice. You might like, we might like to believe that, but it's simply uh, not the truth. Uh, <clears throat> John chapter 4, he goes a little further, John, and he says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits. See, you know, the spirit who's inside of you will create that tension that says, ah, this isn't, doesn't feel right and so forth. Test the spirits. See whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John's saying the same thing. Uh, that Peter is. Okay. So first of all, notice uh, the first characteristic of a false teacher is that the false teacher does what he does in secret. Um, He doesn't come right out and challenge you. He doesn't come right out and lay out his agenda. He's got an agenda, but um, Peter says they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, secretly, even denying the master who bought them, and and so on. So Secretly, uh, subtle. False teachers can be uh, very convincing. Uh, they have a hidden agenda. They're not up front. They don't come right out. They do it in secret. And <clears throat> uh, they pose destructive choices. And you could see why the very best uh, defense against false teaching is to know the truth, uh, which is why, uh, <clears throat> you know, in a church like ours, uh, a Sunday school and uh, teaching children 
uh, truths from God's word and helping them to get established both in their heads and in their hearts with the truth of God and the word of God becomes, you know, a very crucial task. And uh, it seems to me that our church here has a lot of young people and it's a great opportunity. And uh, who knows the future, but I don't think it's going to get better and better. I think it's going to get challenging and challenging. In fact, that's what uh, Jesus tells us is going to happen as we uh, get closer and closer to the end. You know, the Apostle Paul in uh, Ephesians said, if we're going to stand against the schemes of the devil, we need to put on the armor of God, right? You familiar with that passage? And the very first piece of armor that Paul says we need to put on is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, you and I, unfortunately, I think, live in a culture that's pretty much uh, written truth off, like truth isn't important. <clears throat> what's, uh, you know, what's true to you is important, but there isn't such a thing anymore as objective truth. And if you kind of follow what's going on at the college level and so forth, this whole idea of you know, truth is yours to define, not God's. <clears throat> and so the very first thing is this kind of secrecy, uh, but the first piece of armor that we could uh, put on is the belt of truth. Second, um, Peter says in the second verse, another characteristic uh, of uh, false teachers, uh, many will follow their sensuality. Uh, oftentimes, uh, the appeal is to the sensual, to the senses, to the five senses. Even in the Garden of Eden, the appeal to Eve was, wow, that fruit looks great to eat. You know, It appeals to my eyes. <clears throat> and oftentimes, the appeal will be you know, um, made uh, to lower uh, God's moral standards. And Peter uh, has some examples of that and so forth. Uh, The world pulls us in the opposite direction. Again, 1 John um, chapter uh, 2 says, don't love the world. Don't love the world. Or the things in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You have to make a choice. What's going to be priority? Nobody can have two number ones in their life. There can only be one number one in your life. What's first in your life? You know. And so don't love the world. Uh, whoever loves the world, the world is number one. Well, the Father's not in him because God's love is better than life, right? We just read it this morning. So be wise and choose God. Uh, For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And guess what? The world is passing away, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. (laughs) This life is what? This long? Eternity's like what? This big? Why would you trade this for that? And all the promises that God has made uh, for the future that he has for us. And, <clears throat> and so, again, I'm just trying to show that uh, what Peter is saying, Paul and John uh, are saying as well. A third uh, character of a false teacher <clears throat> is in the next verse, verse 3. In their greed, they will exploit you. Greed is, uh, you know, the desire to have what belongs to somebody else, right? Greed. And uh, false teachers, uh, it, it it's not just money, it's popularity, it's power, it's, you know, it can be any, anything that belongs to somebody else that 
we desire and we go after it uh, with false teaching. Uh, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and so forth. And then, um, well, there's a couple more. Uh, and I, I know I'm going to run out of time here. I'm conscious of it. So um, notice uh, in the uh, fourth uh, place, uh, God uh, says here through Peter that uh, false teachers despise authority. They just don't like anybody telling them what to do. They're not team players. They don't believe that in the counsel of many people we find truth, you know, and work as a team. No, we just we don't like authority. We just want to be uh, totally free. Uh, false teachers. Um, I think in you know like in Galatians where we have a, a church that's uh, fallen back into uh, from the truth of the gospel to the old. You know, got the idea that uh, misinterpreting the love of God, uh, we can just uh, presume upon his grace and we just ignore the law of God. Like no authority, like nobody's going to tell me what to do and so on and God will love me and forgive me and everything anyway. Um, Arrogant, obstinate, brazen, uh, a lot of parallels to this in Jude. But the main issue, it seems to me, is in verse 18 where we're told that in addition to being bold, uh, the message of the false teacher is folly. It's empty. It's nothing. It's a boast about what's going to happen and what's great, but it doesn't ever deliver. So if you look at Second uh, Peter chapter uh, 2 and verse 18, it says, um, For speaking loud boasts of folly, false teachers entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, uh, and so on. So uh, the real problem is that the message is folly. It's vain. It's empty. And uh, Peter goes on to say, you know, uh, here, uh, <clears throat> he said uh, false teachers are like, um, like a mist, like a cloud that doesn't deliver any rain, or like a spring that doesn't have any water. It's kind of like, what good is a spring that doesn't have water in it, right? Useless. And so, um, anyway, Peter lists all these characteristics, uh, character uh, uh, issues. When we uh, gathered together uh, with a search committee, uh, I don't know, a few nights ago, um, we were encouraged as a search committee for the church to look for three things in potential candidates of a pastor of a church. And uh, the first one was character. Look for character, look for competency, and look for chemistry. Look for character. All these issues that Peter's talking about are character issues, right? And you want to have, be sure that uh, the person that you hire has those kind of character, the opposite of these kind of character qualities. And then uh, second, to find somebody who's competent, who can do the job, right? And then uh, third, chemistry. Is it the right uh, person for the right personality of the church? And uh, that whole connection. And so, uh, all right, so this is the bad news, okay? The bad news is there are false teachers, and we need to be aware, and we need to be on the alert, and so on. Our culture and the spirit of the world we live in is filled with lies, false teaching, and uh, Jesus tells us, Matthew 24, this is going to increase as we approach end times, right? As we get further along in history, this kind of stuff only increases. 
So that's the bad news, but there's some good news. Here's the good news, uh, verse 9. In verse 9, uh, Peter says this, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from these kind of trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. The bad news is, yeah, there's going to be false teaching, and you're going to have to sort it out. The good news is our God knows how to rescue us or deliver us or keep us uh, from these kinds of trials. And uh, to have this perspective, to understand that we don't have to fear, we don't have to panic, we don't have to, you know, wring our hands, but we have a God who can rescue us. And Peter brings up three examples from history about this um, in verse 4, 5, and 6. Uh, verse 4, he says, if God didn't spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and uh, committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. You're like, wow, what is he talking about? You know, And uh, if you go to Jude and you sort of ferret it out, it seems like they're both talking about what happened in Genesis chapter 6 when angels um, got out of their domain. We would say today the angels got out of their lane. They didn't stay in their lane, right? And they came down and they cohabited with human women. And it created this kind of weird person, right? And uh, so God, uh, you know, punished and rescued the whole human race from this abnormal issue that way back in Genesis chapter 6 was starting to happen. God rescued the whole human race. Second, uh, verse 5 says, uh, if, if God didn't spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness. You, we all know the story of Noah and the flood and so forth. God knows how to rescue the righteous. Noah preached God's truth for 120 years. Nobody listened. Nobody, right? And so 120 years later, flood come. Nobody survives except Noah and his family. God knows how to rescue the godly from the ungodly and from the false teaching and so forth. And then third, uh, starting in verse 6, talks about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and God rescuing Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah, if you're familiar with that story. Um, It says, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as the righteous man lived, as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented. Uh, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And then the Lord knows how to rescue godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for judgment. The word for hell about those angels, by the way, is the word Tartarus in the Greek which uh, in Greek mythology was the lowest part of hell, where the uh, toughest part of judgment would be meted out to people. But what Peter is saying here is the good news. Bad news is, you know, people get trapped by false ideas and uh, false choices, destructive choices. The good news is God knows how to protect his children uh, from being caught up in that, and uh, he will do it. And so Peter says, you know, think about Genesis chapter 6, think about the flood, and so forth. Peter's saying the Lord will rescue us before his judgment comes. And I'm pretty sure that what Peter has you know, specifically in mind is the rapture of the church before the judgment of God uh, comes upon the world. And uh, I just say that because in the next week or the next chapter, 
Uh, that's what it's all about, the Lord's return and what's going to happen and what's going to happen to God's people being rescued from the judgment that's coming upon the whole world and so on. But we'll not get into that this week. So the bad news, there's false teachers. The good news is God can rescue us uh, from all that uh, comes our way. And then finally, I would say the last part of what Peter is saying here is kind of like a news alert. You have bad news, good news, and here's a news alert uh, for the church, a warning that these false teachers often are people who profess to know Jesus and profess to know the gospel and uh, make a profession, but a profession is not the same as a commitment. Notice what Peter says about these people in verses 20 and 21. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. Their last state is worse for them than their first. If you're somebody who's, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, uh, the author of Hebrews says, tasted of the word of God. You remember Jesus told the story uh, early on in his ministry, a parable about uh, a farmer throwing seeds, and it lands on four different kinds of soil, right? The seed that falls on the path, the path is hard, nothing happens. The seed just, you know, gets blown away. The seed that falls on the second kind of soil, is, the soil is rocky. It sprouts, the seed starts to show life, but because the soil is so shallow, as soon as there's some kind of, uh, you know, uh, hot weather or no rain or something, the seed just shrivels up and dies and nothing happens to it. Third kind of soil, Jesus said, the uh, seed sprouts, the word of God takes root, sprouts, uh, but you know what? It's full of weeds and, and briars and, and Jesus said, it's, he interpreted his own parable to his disciples. He said, you know, it's the cares of the world, it's the deceitfulness of riches, right, that choke out the word of God. And nothing happens to that seed. So, but two of the soils, you know, uh, the seed takes root. People start to embrace the gospel. They start to think, wow, Jesus, yeah, man, that makes sense. That's right, and so forth. And again, the author of Hebrews says the same thing. And uh, Peter is saying, man, if that's you and you've had a taste of the gospel and you've had a, uh, an understanding of who Jesus is and what he did, and then you walk away from it and you embrace something else, you just turn your back on the whole thing, you're in worse shape than if you never heard. I think, well, why is that? Well, you remember when Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. So if you have the opportunity and you know the gospel and you know what Jesus did and you have a knowledge of that, but you haven't committed to it, you're in deep weeds because you're susceptible to false teaching. And uh, the false teaching is designed to lead us away and so forth. Well, um, I just think it's an alert, and uh, there's a lot uh, that Peter has to say here that you could continue. And again, I would encourage you to kind of uh, look at uh, uh, Jude and try to understand uh, what the Lord is trying to teach us uh, there. So uh, again, I would say that... uh, Reform, you know, sometimes people grab a hold of the gospel, they find out about Jesus, they start a reformation in their life. Well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to walk like a Christian. I'm going to be a, I'm going to start going to church and this and that. And, uh, but reformation is not the same as regeneration. Regeneration is God putting his new life in us. The Apostle Paul, when he wanted to describe his own life in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul said, I 
am crucified with Christ. I, the old me, got crucified with Jesus on the cross. Right? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God uh, who gave himself for me. You know? And so that's really the Christian life. And Galatians is all about false teaching. You might remember that the people there uh, gave into uh, Old Testament uh, ideology in place of the gospel. So anyway, there's <laughs> at the very end of this uh, uh, chapter in Peter, Peter says, you know, people who do this are false teachers. They're like two different animals. They're like a dog that returns to its own vomit, That uh, a dog that, you know, and don't think pets, think uh, packs of dogs that run wild, you know, in Palestine and so forth, and that are hungry, they eat anything. And so if they regurgitate stuff, other dogs will come and try to eat the undigested parts of what they regurgitate. And pigs who wallow in their mud. Uh, you clean them up, and they just go right back to wallow in the world. And Peter says that's what false teachers are like. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just again uh, thank you for your word. It's a warning for us. It's uh, so true in our culture. And it's a warning for us about how as we get closer and closer to the end times, uh, you know, there will be an increase in false teaching and lies and more activity from the enemy. And not only that, but um, we also recognize that you're able to keep us from falling victim to uh, lies and because you've revealed to us the truth and you've put your spirit in all of us that we might be, in fact, living this new life. So help us to take the warning seriously, not to just uh, compromise with our enemies or to be alert, at least, to uh, these false choices that come alongside of what you've taught us to believe. We thank you for this uh, passage of scripture in Jesus' name. Amen.